Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. You know, you're going to have one of our, somebody on the team will be kind of what we'll say like boots on the ground. Not that they're there every day or every week, but uh, usually once a month, they're going to be there reviewing the property at uh, different times. And, you know, if they're not, if maybe they're meeting with general contractors, they'll be there more often. But after a property has been stabilized, let's say, uh, renovations have been done, they're going to be checking in and seeing how the management company is managing the property. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Charles Carrillo. Charles is a managing partner at Harborside Partners, a real estate syndication firm, and has been actively investing in multifamily real estate since 2006. Charles also hosts the Global Investor Podcast, where he interviews professionals about investing in U.S. real estate. Charles, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Kent. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. I can't wait to, to dig into some of these points. So to start off, help our listeners know a little bit more about you. you know, tell us about uh, your, your background and you know, what brought you into real estate investing. So I grew up in real estate investing. I'm originally from Connecticut. I moved down to Florida in 2012. And uh, my father had been a multifamily investor since the 80s. Uh, multifamily, mixed use, not really too many 100% commercial buildings, but mixed use was another thing that he was into. And mixed use is really just if you're in a city center and you have some commercial, whether it's office or retail on the first floor, and then you have residential on top. And I would say... 75 to 90% of the building square footage wise is probably residential. And then you have a small little commercial print on the bottom there. Uh, so that's uh, kind of what he was interested in and what he was doing. And I didn't really like it getting into it like with him and not like I was involved with it when I was in like elementary school. But but it was something that uh, he brought me it would be like twice a week and we go and do property management. He self-managed them. He had a team and it was like 100 plus units. And um he had one partner and that was about it for some of the properties and some of them he owned 100% out, no syndication. And it was just kind of going around talking to superintendents, talking to contractors, running up the stairs to get rent, running down to his car, to his work van to get receipts and run them back up and three floors down, three floors up, all that kind of stuff. And the properties that he was in, the majority of them unit wise was like, I would say like DC minus kind of stuff, right? So... As somebody coming from the suburbs, it's not it's not a sexy thing 
that you want to get involved with when you're uh, when you're younger. It's not kind of what your plans are. But when I got out of college and my dad was really pushing me to buy my first property, he just made sure that we were buying in better areas. And he started buying in better areas as he kind of uh, was became more seasoned in in the industry. But when we went in, we didn't buy anything. I don't buy anything now that's less than C plus, or you know, maybe if it's C, if it's gentrification. But it's something that um, I always, I'll never go below that. When I ever hear somebody going, oh, C minus, especially on their first couple properties, because there are some successful landlords that can manage C minus and below. It's not something that it's a very, it's a whole different management. You can manage a C plus and you can manage a B property, and they're pretty similar, right? But when you're going down to D, it's a completely different demographic than a C plus property, like uh, hands off, completely different. So that was something uh, when I started buying property in 2006, it was multifamily. And then in 2009, I bought my first, uh, it was a mixed use commercial property, which I still own both of those today. And then I started buying some smaller multifamily throughout that time as well. And I self managed for six years. And in 2012, I moved to Florida. I had to get professional management, which is something I never did before or my dad ever did before. But I found a great property manager through a contact I had from actually the first property we bought. Uh, the seller gave me an awesome... Um, you keep in contact and it's awesome about networking and relationships. And I've had that management company for 9 years. I've been blessed. They're, they're a great company. And um, I handle my kind of remote asset management from there. And during COVID, I haven't been able to be up there. So I haven't actually seen the properties in like 2 years. But um, I usually would go up a, probably twice a year to check on that small little portfolio. And now we syndicate properties mainly through Florida and the whole Southeast. Gotcha. That sounds like an awesome experience. I mean, may, maybe not in the moment being a, being a little kid and being drug around, drug around to the properties, but I think just being able to grow up in that environment and understand the power of real estate, right? And, and the way that it was able to generate wealth for your family and you know, see that firsthand and get that experience. Sounds like, sounds like great exposure. And how did that really influence your perspective on investing? It went to show because I always asked my dad. I, I really got. I wasn't really into real estate, and um, for better or worse, I read after seventh grade that summer before eighth grade, I read Art of the Deal by Donald Trump, and I was like, "All right, this is exactly what I'm doing." And this is maybe like in the late nineties, and I was like, "Oh, this is like the, this is the best thing ever." And I asked my dad, like, "Why don't you have it managed? Like, what? Why don't you get third party management? Why you do it like for growing it?" My dad's like, "Gosh, you know this, that, and." He had all those different reasons for what worked for him. And I think, you know, he was more of a mom and pop operator, as we would say today. And it was just, uh, he had a system that worked and he had superintendents that worked. And I think that to get into the next level when I was doing it, because I want the, I was continuing on that path when I started. And I was like, oh, you know, I had this, you know, I had an online business that my brother runs now full time. We're like, okay, make money. We'll invest in real estate, make money, invest in real estate. And then it was like, okay, I want to. I think the only way of really growing this is to get into syndication, and we would invest passively to kind of see how it was, and then uh, actively start doing deals. And I still passively invest now. I mean, the majority of what we're investing into is deals that we're general partner and active investing on. But uh, it's uh, it, it's a whole different mindset because real estate, really, no matter where you get involved with it, if you're on the active side, whether you have it. A property management company or not, it's not really 100% passive. And the only way of it really being 100% passive, I have found, is you know going through and doing REITs and stuff like that, or going through the syndication passive model, which is one of my favorite. And I always tell people, uh, you know, if I really didn't love real estate, I would just do the passive side of it and never even get into the active, because it's it's so nice when you're just getting money that hits your account 
every month or every quarter. And uh, you can go back, you know, you're, you're building wealth there. And then you can get back to running your business and doing what your real profession is. Yeah, absolutely. And so it sounded like you didn't, you didn't necessarily grow up loving real estate, but, but you developed a, a passion for it over time. So what was, what was that, that trigger point where, where you said, and maybe it was, maybe it was the book by Donald Trump, but where you really said like, okay, this, this is where I want to direct the rest of my career. Well, it was interesting because I was, uh, I remember watching like an old Yankees game with my dad and they were talking about one of the players, I forget who it was back in the nineties that bought an apartment in New York. And I was like, why is somebody, why is this guy living in an apartment? You know what I mean? And, uh, my dad's like, well, you know, those apartments are a lot different than the ones that, you know, we go and visit and stuff like that. And you, you realize there's a whole different class of real estate, um, rental that is, you know, I didn't grow up in a neighborhood where people really rented homes, right? It's not a normal normal thing and you didn't know you you didn't know that there was nicer real estate out there and you didn't really know exactly what's the best way of doing it you know my dad kind of was like you know we should look for different properties cuz i would bring properties to him when i was buying my first property he's like no like no like you don't want that area it's terrible it's not terrible but it's not what you want and you want you want a quieter street you want this and all these different things and i was like yeah the prices are just going up and going up and i you know and it was just like i bought the first one and it was fine the second one i bought was a much better property and that's the best, best, best asset I own personally. That thing never, I mean, it, it, no one, it's like just like prints money. So the thing though is that you buy in a better area, buy a better asset. And that's what I learned over time. And not saying that you have to go and buy A class assets. I'm not really an A class asset investor. I feel like a nicer work, workforce housing, C plus B minus. And I feel that opening my eyes, I think that the Trump book. Complete, I mean, had nothing. I mean, there was some stuff in there about uh, when he and his dad bought like thousand plus unit apartments and uh, complexes out in the Midwest and stuff that you never really heard about because it didn't have Trump on it. But um, you know, he that how that was done. He was much was uh, done much more from a development standpoint, but it was a much sexier thing than what my dad was doing. So I think that kind of drew me in. But then came back to home as realizing that uh, you know multifamily and other commercial assets um, are very very. Uh, they're very consistent. And the more units you own, I was talking to an investor years ago and he's just like, you just need more units. I was talking to him, he's like, you know, it's like, oh, I mean, you know, someone pays, someone doesn't pay, all this kind of stuff. He's like, you just need more units. And it's the same thing with any business. You have an insurance agency and you, you know, commissions go up and down. You just need more clients. And um, like Mark Cuban says, you know, sales cure all. And that's the same thing is just get more units under your belt. And if you're syndicating and you're maybe you invest into one syndication, uh, 100 units and wasn't doing well, well, you know, make your plan now to invest into several hundred more units, right? Because now the volatility has been uh, dramatically reduced because now you have so many other units. Because overall, you're going to have it. And during COVID, I mean, with all of our C class and B stuff, we had over 95% of people paying rent. If you had one bad building with all your, you know, eggs in one basket, you might have had a different story, right? With mom and pop people now that maybe have one asset they live off of. But if you're a little bit more of a, spread out investor and you're in bigger deals or in more units, whether you own hundred percent of them or whether you own, um, you know, a 10th of a percent of those uh, units, your cash flow will be much more consistent. So, and that's what I, that's why I invest into for when I'm doing my numbers, it's cash on cash returns. The number one thing I look for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. And a couple things, a couple of things you mentioned, I wanted to, to call out one is, so it sounded like you were able to sound like your dad really instilled the fundamentals in you. He's talking about, you know, you got to pick the right locations. You got to pick the right asset classes. You know, wait, don't be too, don't be too, uh, too quick. Just 
quick just to do a deal, right? Find the right, the right place. That's so important. But you were also able to, you had kind of bigger ambitions, it sounded like, than kind of running mom and pop, like you said. You saw, you were exposed to where, kind of where this can take you and the growth that you can have. And, and so you wanted to kind of take a different trajectory there. And then you mentioned something else around the idea of, of just like unit diversification, right? And I think that's one of the big benefits of multifamily in general versus single family. So I get a lot of questions around um, from people that are, you know, considering sing, should I do single family, multifamily, you know, and, and that's one of the things that, that I think you hit on is, like you said, if you have more units, then you're, you've got that diversification. You can, it helps smooth out the ups and downs, right? Where if you have like one single family rental and it's empty, then nobody's paying the mortgage, right? You're, you're stuck with that mortgage. If you have more units and you can handle the ups and downs, then you have that safety net, you have that coverage. Um, and multifamily really delivers that right away and in, a, in an individual property. But then also as you scale up to additional properties, you continue to diversify and expand, um, expand that net, right? Right, exactly. The, the diversification is, uh, is, is key with uh, when you're building your, your portfolio. Yeah, so something that, that you mentioned that was pretty unique is you've, you know, you've got a portfolio in Connecticut. Um, you've got properties in Florida. Now, now you're living in Florida. And I think you mentioned your property somewhere else as well. So how are you managing all these properties uh, remotely? So with my properties in Connecticut, those are all 100% owned. I don't have any syndication properties up there. I have a really good property management company up there. And um, when I'm remotely, it's really when you're... If you want to go the active route and you have a small portfolio, whether that's um, you know, a 20-unit building or you have uh, you know, seven, three families, whatever it is, be a little strategic when you're buying it. Try to buy them closer. It's going to make your management much easier. I mean, I can walk a half mile between all my properties in Connecticut. I strategically bought them in one section of a city. And it makes it much easier with doing management when I used to do it myself. And now when my manager does it, whether they're doing snow removal or whatever it is, um, they can go back between properties within minutes. And so that's one thing which makes it a lot easier. You're not being spread out with smaller properties. It's one thing if you have a hundred unit here and an hour away, you have a hundred unit. You're not even going to be dealing with management. You're going to have on site there. It's a completely different thing. So that's one thing why a lot of syndicators go into a new market and they can buy a hundred unit property and they already have scale because they can have two on site people there and maybe a part time person to handle a lot of the maintenance requests and leasing. Now, what I what I did with um, when I was working with my property manager, now I've got it set like a system. The first year or two, I was really figuring out working with a property manager and how it was going to work. You start them off and you're like, hey, anything over whatever it was, a few hundred dollars, you know, give me a call, let me know what it is. And now it's probably like $1,000 or $1,200. Um, I know when I get a call from the owner of the property management company, I know it's going to cost me money. But I'll get emails and I'll get reports that come in. I have access to all the bank accounts. I'm a sign around that. Always be a sign around bank accounts uh, with your property management company. And um, so I can log in and I can see when rent's being deposited. Not that I know exactly the rent amounts off the top of my head, but I can log in and see that that looks like three, you know, that looks like five out of five have deposited there. It looks like it's, you know, six over here. When you're doing that, that makes it much easier for you kind of an idea of what's going on, right? If you're, you know, then you can, there's not that much of contact I need with them in that scenario. And when we're doing larger projects now, we're going to, you know, you're going to have one of our, somebody on the team 
will be kind of what we'll say like boots on the ground. Not that they're there every day or every week, but uh, usually once a month, they're going to be there reviewing the property at uh, different times. And, you know, if they're not, if they're, maybe they're meeting with general contractors, they'll be there more often. But after a property has been uh, stabilized, let's say, uh, renovations have been done, they're going to be checking in and seeing how the management company is managing the property. Um, how do the hallways look? How does the yard look? We're going to be getting into any units that are turning at that point. Um, the other thing too is that I have my property manager in Connecticut. They'll let me know every time something's vacating, uh, before it's vacating. So, and they'll also let me know when it's ready to rent. And that's just a way that I can keep, I can keep kind of a little bit more control over how long it's taking. Um, if they say it's a, it's a minor, it's a minor turn and it's taking three weeks, well, there's an issue there. Like that has to be taken care of. Um, if they say it's a major turn and it's been done in three weeks, okay, fine. I mean, that's just, that's the nature of the business that has to happen at some point. So I think that you're, when you're working with your property management company, um, your boots on the ground people there, just make sure that you can have some accountability in there of how you're going to manage. And turnover is a huge thing. It's the most expensive thing for a multifamily owner. So having, I feel that's something that I need to, we take care of the advertising on the unit. So when something comes up, they'll tell them, hey, this is, the, this is uh, going to be, you know, this is vacated, should be ready in, uh, you know, 10 days. This is the amount it's going to rent for. I tell my VA to start posting it, right? And they'll call in or they'll message in and uh, with their phone numbers. And it's um, my VA will pass that to the property management company if they didn't call in directly to them. That gives you a little bit more accountability. You know when it's been rented. You know when it's vacated. I like that. That's just one thing there. And then also having someone, um, you know, boots on the ground there too. So I can have someone to drive by the properties. And, you know, looking from the outside of a property, especially, you know, with the snow, maybe it's a little bit more difficult. But through other seasons of the year, you can kind of see how it's being managed. You know, you see if there's trash outside, you see trash cans or anything has been moved back. You see if people have stuff outside their apartments, you know, and it's not looking clean. These are things that the PM should be taking care of and making sure and enforcing. This is stuff that you can do just by, you know, a quick drive-by or having someone in the area look at your property and you maybe pay them a set fee for that. So um, there's a number of different ways of doing it. But I feel that just every person has their own how comfortable they are with their property manager. It's not going to be the same as you doing it yourself. So you just have to realize that. And that was the first couple of years I was like, it's not being managed the correct way. And I think it took a couple years really for me to get in tune with my property manager up there. And then where we really were on the same page, where I would go up there without even any kind of um, introduction or let them know that I was going to be there. I'd be like, oh, this is... you know, Again, I have my unit keys. I go into some of the hallways. I'm like, this is clean. This is fine. Every, you know, everything's clean. Every, you know, everything's rented out. Like this is how it's supposed to be in some of these properties. When you're going in, I go in the basement. There's nothing leaking. There's nothing. There's not people's trash. Every, you know, all these type of things that a lot of property managers that aren't on the ball are going to. You're going to go into the basement. It looks like someone moved in down there, right? With all the stuff they brought. And that's something that it just takes a lot more. Your, your property manager has to be more hands on to avoid that. And I don't want to find out that I go in the basement and stuff's leaking, right? Every hot water heater is leaking and all this type of stuff. And this should be stuff that when they walk that basement and they do their own inspections, whether it's every month, they see this and they go, hey, Charles, this has to be done, right? You should, you should be, you know, this should be done now. And this is going to be done like your roof is, uh, you know, it's got less than 24 months on it and stuff like that. And then those larger CapEx items, I will work. And we do the same thing when we do syndications. We'll go out to the general contractors, find them ourselves to take care of those or the subcontractors to take care of those projects. We might get contacts from our property manager, but we're going to be the ones that are going to make the final decision 
and that's kind of how a capex. That's how it has to be on turns. I don't really want to be getting because it would just be an on, ongoing job for that, right? You don't want to be finding a general contractor for every unit turn that's just cleaning and painting. That should be in-house handyman from your property management company or from your on-site. So if that answers your question. Yeah, no, I think you covered a lot of different things there. Definitely answers the question. It sounds like you are, you know, you've built a system of whether it's it's partners or kind of a team that's in place to help you, uh, whether it's boots on the ground, it's folks driving by, it's keeping an eye on the property, it's, you know, you mentioned a VA, you're going to have these different elements that you've put into place to be able to manage this portfolio that is that is spread out in different geographies. So, so I mean, it sounds like there's a great system there. Can you tell me a little bit more about that team that you've put into place and how that team, you know, allows you to keep tabs on, on these properties from afar? So when we're when we're partnering with um, other groups, so if uh, you know, normally we have uh, we have three different strategic partners that we work with, and um, in different parts of the country. So we have one that we work with in Florida and Georgia. We have another one that we work with in the Midwest and the Mid South. With these groups, they have their own team. They they have their own people on the ground there. And if it's something in Florida, we'll have someone from our group, right? That will be the boots on the ground, the person checking it, and. I like to have how we set it up is you'll have someone that's going to be the point of contact for your group with the property manager. And then I also... And they could be anywhere. I mean, they can be anywhere literally in the US um, because they're they're not going to be probably the one going to the property as much. And then you're going to have people, uh, one person at least, that's going to be the, uh, the boots on the ground kind of person. They're going to be the ones that during uh, a project management, you know, when you're doing your CapEx, when you're doing your renovations, they're going to be the ones that are meeting with general contractors. Uh, they're going to be the ones that are reviewing the property. They're going to be the ones that are uh, giving updates to the team and saying, you know, this is coming along and this is this is something that's behind. So that's kind of... It's really those two key people. Once the property has been taken over by your group, uh, what you really need to have. And um, I don't like to have too many people calling the property management company because then it just... It, it confuses them with who they're supposed to reach out to when there's an issue. Right, they can send out reports to anyone that doesn't really matter. But um, when you're talking and you're having that call, usually weekly with them with larger projects, and you want to know did this unit get it served? Is this eviction done? Is that unit been? Do we have possession of that unit again? Um, you don't want them to be repeating that to three different people. So it's really that um, having that roles up front makes it very important. That's kind of the first question I have when someone will bring us a property. What do you need help with? Like, where would our role be on it? Because sometimes it'll be there'll be a, a number of boxes that they need uh, checked off, and sometimes it'll only be a few boxes. Right? Hey, we just need someone to assist with inspections. We need someone to uh, to handle some of the property management calls and some of the reports for investors, and uh, you know, raising money and all, some other couple, you know, signing on the debt or whatever. And sometimes it's uh, it's more than that, right? Where hey, we need someone that from your group to. Would you be able to, because it's down in your neck of the woods, uh, can we utilize your property management company there? And you know you can work with them directly. And then also if you had someone on the boots on the ground. So it just all depends. And that's what it's all partnering about when you're getting into these larger projects. So Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like you've really leveraged a series of partnerships to grow your portfolio and be able to expand into different geographies. And you kind of have behind that your own team which it sounds like includes your VA, which, which helps you keep tabs on things and, and does things like marketing. Is that right? 
Yeah, I have a couple different VAs. I have one that does. Uh, I have one that takes care of a lot of admin stuff, and I've uh, that's where that comes in. So they're posting different apartments for us. Usually, when we're getting to the larger syndications, it's usually a property management company that's handling a lot of that marketing. I I kind of keep an eye on that to see exactly how much traffic we're getting into the for potential renters coming in, and then you can kind of tweak that, and then that way you kind of know. What the issue is, if you're having issues renting, is it just because the size of the units or the unit mix, whatever it might be, or is it because you're not getting a, enough traffic or eyes on the property, right? And then that's something that we can fix. We can turn up the marketing on it. We can pay money to have that done. Um, and some properties have so much people that walk into it, we don't even have to deal with that, right? So and we have one property. We have more people that walk into the property than we have units on it every every month. So it's like... It's just certain areas just have lots of traffic depending on where it's located. So that's something that that's least of our worries is getting people there. The what we need though is that we need to have the units turn fast. And uh, so when it people you know are waiting lists, we can actually serve those people by renting to them. Gotcha. So you mentioned uh, kind of watching some metrics and knowing when to turn up the dial from a marketing standpoint. I mean, what are the what are the benchmarks that that you're looking at? I mean, what are you expecting to see? For, for a unit that you've listed and, and what tells you that it's time to turn up the dial? Well, you'll talk to your management and sometimes they'll be like, you know, especially when you're in C-class and, hey, we're getting a lot of people coming in. We're getting a lot of applications. It's just not qualified. Okay. So at that point, that's probably a lot of walk-in traffic. So what we're going to do there is there's a lot of different online services that will put them all on like Zillow and apartments.com and all this stuff. And you can really cover a number of different platforms. I, I forget the name of the service. It does like 20 different apartments.com type websites. You do it there. We will post as well on Craigslist. Most of the time for my own properties, posting on Craigslist will get them rented. If something hasn't rented or we don't have it rented within like a week or two, we'll put it on Zillow. And it'll be... I mean, it's it, it'll go real quick at that point. So sometimes we'll just do it both at the same time. It just depends on... Um, certain unit sizes rent faster than others, depending on the market you're in. And um, knowing that, like where we are in Tampa, two bedrooms go off the shelf. Like we can't, we we have 100% occupancy on two bedroom units, right? And on one bedrooms, it's a little difficult. So that's something where we're going to have to put that out. And that's going to be where we're going to, uh, it's going to take more marketing kind of uh, know how to get those people uh, into those apartments. And turn down from say you know maybe two weeks after you finished it renting it to maybe uh, we'll be happy if we can get it rented within three weeks or four weeks to someone that's a very qualified person. So just having those metrics in line in check sometimes it goes faster. It really depends on how how you're kind of together with it. But we when you're getting more units, you don't really have to turn off the marketing, which is great on smaller properties. When you have un- unique units, you have to keep on turning on and turning off. But when we're doing syndications, we can now say. Yeah, we have so we have like 170, 180 units in Tampa, and we can say, well, we don't have anything here, but three blocks away, we have another property, and this is it's going to be similar rents, blah blah blah, and so now you're just you have that competitive advantage where other operators there don't aren't able to fill their units from another property, right? They only have their property that they're able to fill units from. So having more units in the area too is something that helps out. And really ups that competitive advantage, which really, when you're buying real estate, it's relationships and money. If you have access to capital and you have a long-term relationships, right, that's where you're going to have advantage over other buyers. But when you're on the rental managing side of it, 
you have that competitive advantage when you have more units, right? Scale of economy, so you can get your costs down. But also, you're able to keep your vacancies um, you know, at, a, at a lower amount because you have much more sources for getting renters in and then moving them. Somebody wants to go from a one to a two bedroom instead of them getting back on Zillow. Now you're like, hey, we don't have any here, but we have one here. And right off the bat, you've, you've minimized the leasing fees. You minimize all these different fees that you might have to pay if you had to kind of obtain that client again, and you already know that the tenant's a good tenant. So that just, it's minimizes risk across the whole board. Yeah. So it sounds like a marketing, well, general strategy is you're acquiring properties, several properties in a single location, and then you're able to cross market or cross refer. And in that way, keep your property, keep all your properties full. So very good strategy. You know, as you look at Harborside and, and your strategy that you guys are executing, what is it that differentiates you from the host of other syndicators? I think that it's the it's the experience. I mean, I've been investing in multifamily since '06, like we were talking about. A lot of the operators that we'll work with, they'll have uh, some of their seasoned people on their teams that have been investing uh, twenty plus years. So you have a lot more experience and. I feel that when you're partnering with other operators, I really want to see people that are making decisions in our partner companies that are have gone through the downturn, right? 08. And uh, obviously, we all went through COVID and going through it still. But it's something that when you're going through a pullback like that, if you've gone through multiple pullbacks, you kind of have an idea of what to expect. And obviously, everyone's different, right? So you can't compare 08 to the early 90s to COVID, right? But it's something that you you've understood an area where a time when you're not raising rents and you're not sticking to your business plan like you wanted to right raising rents so soon and doing all this work to the property you've got to really manage figure out a way of increasing your net operating income on current assets and new assets by not raising rent it's like the old adage when you're selling your house hey what else you talk to your real estate agent hey what are you what else do you have up your sleeve other than lowering the price of my property sell it right and how so what else do you have up your sleeve to increase NOI other than just raising rents? Because raising rents doesn't work in every market, as we saw last year in COVID, right? I guarantee most operators out there, if they're being honest, didn't raise their rents as much as they wanted to. And they didn't do the CapEx work that they really wanted to complete during that year. And the safe thing to do is put that on pause and do rent increases as 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 the market will bear. But the thing though is that. What else were you doing? What inefficiencies were you taking care of? When we were buying a property, we bought a property and we, um, our last property we bought was a 90 unit and it was in Tampa, a 68 and a 22. And we put it together in one syndication about two blocks from each other. The 68 was a much more stabilized property. The 22, the, it was mom and pop and it was, um, we now, you know, painted them and they're now like in part of the whole asset that we have in the whole area. But the thing though is that they're paying a 15% management fee. And we bought this during the summer of COVID, really, end of summer of COVID. So the thing, though, is that with that being said, you know, we can plug that in. And it's just over 3% with our property manager in Tampa. So with that being said, without us doing anything, we now have lowered management by what 80%. That's a way of adding value to a property without going in there. Like every renter thinks you're going to do is, you know, raise their rent 100 bucks without doing anything. And I, that's kind of what separates, I think, seasoned operators from maybe less, I guess, I, I don't want to say newbie, but newer investors, newer operators that might not know how to handle a downturn because it's easy to make money when the market's going up, right? 
Sure. Yeah. So, so you're saying really an understanding experience, but I think what, what you're saying is really what that means is an understanding of, of what all the levers are, right. And which levers you can pull when to have multiple ways to add value, you know, not just rent, but focusing on economies of scale and expenses, right. Which you mentioned from that, that management fee example. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, I'd like to go to the keys to success section. We've got a few questions I want to ask you, Charles. First one is, what's the one question that every investor should be asking their sponsor? Uh, What is your experience with this asset class in this market? I think that'd be the main thing that I would ask and see what that response is and uh, make sure that it suffices. Mm -hmm. What type of response would you be hoping to hear? I would want to see that they've had experience, obviously, in the asset class and in that market. And I want to make sure the property manager, uh, because they're the ones that are really pulling the levers, like you say, they're the ones that are really running the property. You might have a, a $10 million asset, but let's be honest, the person that's actually seeing your tenants every morning is making forty dollars or $50,000 a year. So how are they finding that person, that key person to keeping someone from 12 months to 24 months, right? or from 18 months to, to uh, 36 months, and um, uh, minimizing your turnover. And that's kind of what I want to see. What, how they're, what, what, what is their, the property management's um, kind of experience as well in the market with uh, doing what your business plan is? If your business plan is uh, just... Uh, it's already a stabilized property and we're just holding on to it, great. Like, whatever assets have you done? Or have you done these major 5,000 plus per unit CapEx projects? And what are the addresses? And that's the kind of thing I want to look at as well. So you're vetting not just the sponsor and the operator, you're vetting also the property manager. Yeah, really good point. Thanks for, for following up on that. And what are you most proud of in your career? My first commercial property, I bought a completely vacant... It was, it's, every time I think back on it, it's completely nuts. Uh, Mixed-use property. Uh, so it had like small commercial downstairs. And it had uh, a bunch of apartments above and I still own it. But I bought it 0% occupancy. It was during the end of 09. And that was when I think this thing was sitting on the market. I actually found it through a, a residential broker. And that thing was like, um, man, it was like on the market for like five months. I put in like an offer like 30, 30% less and they like countered. And I think it countered for like 2% higher than what my offer was. And uh, I bought it. I refinanced it out after getting it fully occupied in like 90 days and uh, doing a major renovation on it. And that was my first... I didn't even know what value add was at the time. I was just turning around a property. I didn't know they had all these... I didn't know house hacking was a thing too. And I was already doing that. And when I did that, I was like, I could take on a lot bigger projects because... I mean, that's a lot of... That was a lot of risk and no investor money. It was 100% my money. I paid cash for it and did all the renovations in cash. So that's what I would say is my most shiny moment so far. So a ton of experience coming out of that one property, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Would you do that deal again? At the price? Oh, yeah. I remember I, I finished with it. My broker was like, now you just need five more of these or four more of these. I was like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was the beginning of 2010. So like it, that was one thing. Uh, when you're buying property, don't always look for a home run. That was a home run. That was like a grand slam. My property manager still can't believe what I bought it for when I was having man. She asked me what I paid for it. And he was looking. He's like, oh my God, he stole that. So I stopped like buying, looking at properties like around 2011, 2012. I was like, oh, it's way overpriced, right? Because mm-hmm. you're so used to buying in 20... 2008, 2009, right. 2010. And then you're like, you know, so look for... It's fine to do doubles and triples and singles, right? It's always always be looking for properties. And I think that's if you're active, that's the thing that you have to do. Not every property is going to be home run, but you will hit them, right? Yep. So just that's one thing I would like to tell your listeners as well. Yeah, I appreciate that because I, I use that baseball analogy a lot of... I, you know, I tell people like, look, we're, we're, we're not 
hitting home runs here because what we we do with the value add B class, right? You know, cash flowing properties. We say, look, we're we're hitting singles and doubles, but we're staying on base, right? And you you keep going around the bases, keep going around the bases, and the runs add up. So, yeah, I appreciate the baseball analogy. What books should everybody be reading? There's two 80-20 books. There's an 80-20, uh, the, the main one, and then there's an 80-20 uh, marketing one. And I think anybody self-employed, I think the 80-20 one for anybody that's, doesn't matter if you have a job, whatever you do, uh, you, should, you should do that. Read that book. And it's a quick read, right? If you were flying, you could read on one flight. The 80-20 marketing is about the same size. And it's, it just breaks down if you're in sales, uh, where you're spending your time. And if you're in your business, what are the high-level activities you're doing and which ones should you um, just get off your plate one way or another? So definitely 80-20 series. Cool. Thanks for telling us. And then lastly, what is your number one key to success? When I started like focusing more on what my, what my goals were and really outlining what my 5, 10, and 15-year goals are, and then kind of brought that to figuring out weekly what my goal has to be. And that's something that you can really track. It's very difficult to see if you're on track with a 15-year goal, mm-hmm. right? But you should have them, right? But it's something where I can now break that down to a one-week goal. And I know, okay, this is what I have to do this week to move myself forward. And usually, it's not something major. I mean, it could be something a few hours a week, an hour a day that you time block out. You look back in two months, you're like, oh my God, I've really made some progress. And that's something over the last two years I've done. And uh, it's dramatic. I mean, it's amazing the amount of progress you can make by consistently doing a little bit every day on, uh, in the same direction. Yeah, I I think that's so powerful that you take these big kind of analogous goals that that are out there and and break those down into, into something very specific and specific actions you can take daily and weekly, right? And I think, like you said, um, you know, like so, something that I do where you know I don't I've got three small kids, we've got a new dog right now, we've got a lot going on. I don't have a ton of like large chunks of time. But but what I can do is I can chunk out, you know, 15 minutes a day to read, uh, you know, as much as I can in that time. And, you know, some days it's, it's a page, you know, some days, some days it's more, but at least I'm making progress and, and I'm able to, to read books that way. Because if I waited until I had an hour or two to sit down and like really dig in, like it just wouldn't happen. You know, so, so I found that even being able to, to just chunk out a little bit each day, even 15 minutes can make a difference. Yeah. Uh, the 10 pages a day, that's kind of the goal I try to hit. And I don't hit it every day, but you do it and you look back and you're like, oh, I'm almost done with this book. Yeah. And you think 10 pages is nothing, but eh, you can do a book a month. I mean, that's a lot better than most people don't even read a book a year. So, right. It's like, yeah, I know I'm going to get to that book and then it just sits there mm-hmm. and collects dust. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. Charles. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for sharing your your life story and, and your journey and, and the information. I think a lot of good content for folks today. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more, how do they reach out to you? So if you're interested in passively or actively investing, I do a free 30-minute strategy calls and we can kind of talk about where you are now and where you want to go. And you can just go to uh, schedulecharles.com. So it's schedulecharles.com and it goes uh, to a page right on my personal website. So you'll have all my other information there as well. And you can just book a time and we'll... Uh, We'll talk about your 5, 10, and 15-year goals. Awesome. Well, very good. Well, everybody reach out to Charles. Thanks, Charles. Have a great rest of the day, man. Thanks, Kent. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit kentritter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. 
Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.